You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. Ah, and our, our string of returning guests uh, in, in 2019. Well, it's a string of returning guests since I've returned to 2019. I should put it that way. <laughs> and uh, our guest today, this is, I believe, his third appearance, but he hasn't been here since 2016 uh, for some reason. I hope it was uh, three years full of wonderful things. But uh, re- regardless of, of, of the gap, you know, my attorney guest today is relationship architect and coach, best-selling author, speaker, and workshop leader, Mr. Jeff Lofton. Hello. How you doing? Excellent. Glad to be back. It only seems like yesterday, not three years. Yeah, I was really surprised to see that it had been that long. So uh, I, I guess when you're real men feeling, time flies. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Cool. Um, so it, it was... The first, the two times you were on in 2016, we were talking about relationships, and uh, I know that was, um, is, is it different now? Are you not focusing as much on that, is, or are you still the relationship architect? I still, yes. I'm a, I live a schizophrenic life. <laughs> I still work on the relationship architect, working with couples, working with individuals, coaching them into the kind of relationship they really want with a partner and themselves. So yes, I'm still doing that. But in the few years since you and I were last together, something that I've been doing for actually 20 years has taken a different role in my life. It's taken on much more importance and much more of my attention um than it ever has and that is my work with men okay so as as working working on the relationship angle you were talking to to both partners at the same time working with the duo okay got it yep and you know and sometimes to be honest one or the other because sometimes one person in a relationship is really committed to doing the work and the other one which would often be the man in the relationship wasn't ready or willing or seeing the need to do work on themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has gone that way every now and then, but now that work is very much, you know, couples. And I also have been getting more men approaching me for coaching because they're trying to figure themselves out first and then you know look at how that impacts either a relationship they're in or how it might help them be clearer about the relationship they're looking for if they're not currently in one so is that something that's that's changed over the last 20 years that that more men are stepping forward wanting to look at themselves i In all of my experience, it's changed in the last two years. Oh, wow. Um, You know, before that, it was, it's always been a challenge to really get guys to be willing for some men to just recognize that maybe they need help or want help and they equate help with you know you're really screwed up you need help and that to whatever degree any man certainly of a particular generation or three which would be my generation and the ones before it and maybe the one right after me they that stereotype or stigma i think is beginning to dislodge because you know, human beings, whether we're male or female, we are hardwired to grow. And anybody who has resisted that with any amount of intensity and consistency 
has probably figured out that it makes life a hell of a lot harder to fight growth than it is to go through the bumps and bruises that can happen when you do work on growing yourself inside and out. And so with those older men, that's still a little bit slow. But one of the interesting things is that I've noticed in the last couple of years, probably I make up, it has something to do with the rise of the Me Too movement, is that more younger men are really wanting to learn more about themselves, get mentoring, coaching, get some wisdom from people that are a bit to, in my case, a lot older than they are, to because they don't know what the hell they're doing any more than I knew what the hell I was doing when I was in my mid-30s. So there's been a noticeable rise in the number of men that are in that 25 to 40 age group. Um, easy, I guess, to label them as millennials but just men in that age group seem to be coming more and more. And in the men's work community that I founded a long time ago, 80 to 85% of our current membership in that community are young men in that age group. And which is awesome. I mean, I, I have always wanted when I was that age and I met men who were, you know, in their 50s, 60s or older, who were able to help me understand the issues I was grappling with, questions I had no answers for in terms of how do I be a good man, how do I be a good father, all those things. There were older men that just frankly saved my ass. And so I've always looked forward to getting to a place in my life where I could return the favor to other younger men. And that has really been organically increasing in the last couple of years. Cool. So you mentioned, um, you know, asking, you know, what the hell do I know? What, what what the hell am I doing? And so is there an age that you have those answers or is it more that there's an age where not knowing doesn't bother you as much? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, well, I mean, one thing I definitely have no hesitancy saying is I don't know all the answers yet. I'm still breathing. So as long as I'm breathing, there's always this healthy portion of I don't know shit. Um, but I would say there's definitely no doubt that I have, I think my questions that I'm asking for my own development and the questions and work I'm doing with the men in our community I think they're smarter and there's definitely a lot of stuff I was very twisted and wrapped up about in my mid thirties, really up until probably my late fifties. It's not, I think I've gotten smarter about what, what really is important and what are, what are the areas of growth that feel important to me at this stage in my life where I'm, I'm in the last act of my life. So the things that matter to me when I was, you know, in early middle age and when I was a young man, you know, a lot of it doesn't have the same level of import now. So, so when you were growing up, and had questions, it was older men that you could look to and they'd share their wisdom. But it sounds like you're saying now it's kind of the, the newer generations of men are making it okay for the older generations to, to ask more questions and to, to not be right and not have all the answers. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, I mean, that's certainly my experience. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be disingenuous and say that if I have 30 years on a guy, which I do for most of our, you know, younger guys, that definitely means I have some wisdom and mileage on me that where I've screwed enough things up to have learned a little bit about it. But what I'm really, to your question, what I'm liking a lot is that they're asking questions in some cases that I, A, didn't ask when I was that age, B, do still have relevance for me. And they just have more relevance for me at a later stage in my life. Like, what do I want to do when I grow up? Well, there are waves of that that I've been going through the last few years. So there is more of a synergy of I can give them my experience and things I've learned, and then they bring that one great thing about their relative lack of experience is they give me perspectives and their perspectives are more tuned to the way they experience life in this time, in this society, in this culture, with all the crap that we're going through in our world. So there's an urgency that they bring that fires up my own urgency to how do we help each other, you know, how do they help me get my head out of my butt where I might be inadvertently getting set in an opinion or set in my ways necessarily? And then I get to help them consider some things that they wouldn't probably be able to consider because they haven't lived as long. So it's definitely a, a really wonderful synergy that you know, for me as an older man, and I have a son in that same age bracket, and watching what he goes through trying to figure out his own life and his place in the world and purpose and how do you, how do you live an integrous life. Um, I'm also very aware that if there's one thing that I can leave, along with whatever was left of my hair and my years of experience, is what can I do to help the younger generations hopefully improve on what our generation, my generation has done, and that they are able to really bring a level of consciousness and leadership to life that I think is getting more urgent these days. So you, you mentioned you thought that the, the Me Too movement was sort of the, the catalyst to get men to start asking more questions or, or be willing yeah. to look at themselves. And it, it wasn't the catalyst because it, it did, you know, for, for some men it forced them to look at their thoughts and actions and for others perhaps it was an invitation to stop and, and look at your behavior. Was that the essence of it or something else? Yes. Both. <laughs> Um, you know, what I have found with a lot of the younger men is they already have their own innate opinions or uh, biases, struggles with how, how to date and how, how do you treat women where, you know, they've, they're of a generation that has certainly seen much needed rebalancing of equality. And they also, you know, they're still men. And men, just like women, we're wired in a lot of ways the way we've been wired since we first started walking on two legs. So trying to figure out how to be socially conscious um, probably a bit of political correctness and still be a man and trying to understand what about that 
is really appealing to women, honoring of women while still honoring themselves. The rules for that, for these younger generation of men, they don't even quite know what the rules are, but what they do have a strong sense of is the way that it has been before. In other words, all of the unconsciousness that Me Too is bringing up into mainstream attention finally, they don't want that. They don't want to be that kind of man, whatever that might imply. But they want to be, they want love, they want to be good men. A lot of these guys, when they talk about fatherhood, they want to be a present father. They don't want to be an absent father like a lot of our dads were going to work every day. Um, they want to make it better. And they're just not sure how. So it's on, so older generations were consciously and subconsciously taught rules of being a man and kind of just that kind of the older version of masculinity, just, just stoic and shut down and not question it. And the current generation isn't sure about the rules, but they're willing to go, those aren't rules that I'm interested in following and kind of they're taking responsibility to, to dare to rewrite the rules. Is, is that a good summation? I think it is. And, you know, you're making me think of something that happened to me, I don't know, probably five, six years ago. And <clears throat> I live in the Boulder, Colorado area. And there was a man back then who had men's groups too. And he would do these monthly events for guys. And depending on the theme of the event, he would invite other men that he knew to come and be a guest, a panelist, a participant, whatever. Anyway, he was doing a meeting this one particular month, and the focus was eldership and the role that elders have played in men's lives, where's eldership going in the future, and so forth. So he invited me to be one of the older elder guys that came along. And one, he did this exercise that I'll never, ever forget. He put a rope down the middle of the room. And he said, anybody who feels like you're an elder, and he emphasized feels like, it's not required that you be 50 or 55 and older. If you feel like an elder, go on this side of the road. Everybody else, go on that side of the road. So, of course, most, if not all, of the men that were 50 or older, and I think the oldest guy that was there that night was 85 or 86 then. And then, but there were a noticeable number of younger guys that also went on the elder side of the rope. So once that was all set, the facilitator said to the non-elder side of the rope, what is it that you want these guys to know? And there was a pregnant pause and there was kind of this wave of, I mean, you can, I, you know, you can see that they were really giving it thought, like, what, what do I need? And the universal first response to that question was, fuck you. <laughs> Followed by a stream of that throughout that whole group and emotions ranging from some of the deepest grief I had felt to rage on the part of these people towards us older, allegedly wiser men. And <clears throat> we just listened. And different men shared about 
absent fathers, fathers who were abusive, fathers who never did and still don't get them. And, you know, to our credit, we really listened and we got, I got it. I totally had my own places where I feel like I could have been a much better father to my boys. But after they moved that, then the facilitator said, what else would you like these guys to know? More tears followed by show up. We need you. And that gets to the heart of why I do what I do. Yeah, I, I can only imagine being there. I mean, just hearing the story, it, it, it's powerful. Yeah. And uh, so is that is, and it's not just in the younger men to older men. I that uh, that need to get the pain out, the anger out first. Yeah. Like I'm pissed at you. You fucked everything up. Right. Now, now how can you help me? <laughs> like, right, I, right? I like I, you know. But yeah, you can't get out of the way. If you if there are any emotions in the way of being helped or being of service or working together, it's always going to be a block unless they're willing to to express it. Well, right. And of course, part of that builds up because either for real truthful reasons or what they made up, you know, when they were young, kids or teenagers, it wasn't okay to be emotional with your father. Or really, for that matter, I don't want to to, uh, discriminate against mothers either. Yeah, yeah, I can just stop. It wasn't okay to be emotional. The end. Every, yeah, every guy I've ever known in my entire life has mom issues. So it's just, it's hard to grow up. So what I so appreciated about that night and what's always been a part of anything I've ever done with men has been if you didn't get to express your emotions growing up or even however much in your adulthood, that doesn't mean they're not there. Mm. And if they're not getting expressed, then they're fermenting and rotting in there. And then it shows up. One way it shows up is going to be in antisocial behavior. You get, you get men, because let's not lose sight of the fact that most mass shootings are done by younger white men. And they've been that cauldron of boiling rage and pain boiling under the surface until it blows and it doesn't usually end up being pretty in whatever way it happens. So I really think that, you know, guys have to have a safe place for them to be able to just, you know, vomit it out, so to speak, so that they create this greater amount of energy in here to be able to get clarity about, well, what do I want more of in my life? Where could I be a better partner, husband, father? Where, you know, all those questions that we're all asking, whether we admit it or not. So it, it's really crucial to be able to have places and i think safe places are men that are looking for the same thing so there's not so much of that i better not talk about my insecurity or my fear here um and to a degree having some older men involved that know that pain they know that rage and they have been working through it and continue to when it comes up. And that's part of, you know, why I think men's work is so invaluable is how do we 
make powerful change and do it with our sisters not take you know men are men and women are women those there are those differences and neither gender has the market on behaving like a complete and total schmuck women have hurt as many people as they have we have done damage the way we have humans are just screwed up so i also believe that part of what is ultimately going to help make a difference is men and women honoring the differences and knowing how to work with those you know masterfully but coalescing more with the similarities and how do we make change together rather than the convenient thing of, well, that gender is the, the bad one, or that one's the bad one. That might have been a bit of a ramble from your question, but I got on my box. Yeah, it's a great box. And no, there's, if that's rambling, there's no bad rambling. I'll say that. Um, but you, you did mention this, the safe space and, and a place where men of different ages come together and the, the story you, you shared was, was at a men's group. So is, is that part of what makes men's group, men's work in a group so powerful, that, that safety, that container? Yeah, well, I can only speak, I'll speak for myself first, and then I've got tons of anecdotal evidence that the answer to that is yes. For me, you know, I grew up raised by women, and even our dog was female, and I had a sister. So, you know, I grew up being a very sensitive boy, and I was and remain a sensitive man. Whatever you want to, however you want to define that word, to me, I long ago stopped looking at it as a pejorative that that was a four-letter word. And part of what made the difference between me thinking that means that I'm bad or really flawed to being proud of the fact that I'm sensitive in the way that I am was going to a men's weekend that I resisted for years. I didn't trust men. He was like, fuck men, you know. <laughs> They're, all I ever knew from males up to that point was most of them hurt me. So I wasn't most of the ones that I was in contact with. Broke my heart or hurt me or were abusive in some way. And so I went to this men's weekend back in 2000 and I was there with close to a hundred different men of every shape, size, 18 or older. You had to be 18 to be there. Um, race, sexual orientation, the whole gamut. And it was literally mind blowing and heart blowing to sit in circles in that weekend and then beyond where men were talking about stuff and feeling things, sharing stories of sexual abuse, sharing stories about their own conflict around how to be, how to be the sexual beings that they are and still be respectful and to be clean, you know, energetically and in integrously clean with women, those who were straight, or with men for those who weren't. And it it was like a whole new world for me. And I was in my early forties and my son was just about to become a teenager. So 
that was where I saw that there is safety in a common agreement that what we're going to talk about is confidential and we are holding each other's privacy and confidentiality and where there were ground rules around what was okay and not okay to know that it was a ground rule that there's no shaming allowed in here there's no physical acting out allowed but the biggest safety factor really was the the vulnerability the the transparency and all of us just sharing what we were grappling with like the issues we were grappling with the guilt the shame the the conflicts internally all that so I guess maybe I could sum all that up is there safety in numbers and there's safety in a unanimity of purpose and intention and there's safety when you have that magic moment where you hear another man share a story or share a, a quandary he's in that's just like mine and it's like oh, awesome i'm not the only one who's fucked up in this thing cool yeah i uh you, you used a word and you you talked about that you you owning it and so being sensitive yeah so i was definitely a sensitive kid i'm a sensitive man and i can say that and i own it and i don't feel the shame but I still notice if someone else calls me sensitive, I still get triggered. I'm like, hey, hey, what are you talking about? You know, right. it's, it's really weird that, that that still is there. Well, I, I totally get it. And I've had flashes of that too. And <clears throat> I mean, I certainly think at least when I was a kid and a teenager, all of that was rooted in homophobia at least in my community that I grew up in. And I grew up in the Bay Area where, you know, homosexuals are an enormously significant part of the population. And so when, when someone else calls me sensitive and it feels like it has a snarky or a, uh, an edge to it I might have that initial reaction because then the thought that I strive for is well thank you very much for that compliment <laughs> because I remember what it was like to be friggin numb so I don't ever 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 want to go back to living as that kind of man so if sensitive means I feel, if sensitive means that I'm empathetic and compassionate, and you want to look at that as a negative, well, sorry for your luck, but I'm good. That's beautiful. Hmm. You know, you've, you've mentioned a lot of, of good qualities and perhaps characteristics that, that men can strive for. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned integrity and quality, being socially conscious. So I, I wonder if, 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 if it's those or something else, but what, what do you think makes a good man? Well, again, I want to just speak for myself and whoever is watching that it resonates for great. I mean, I do think there are I think there are some close to universal qualities that I would answer that with. Integrity being one, that that matters. And integrity, the way I look at it, is am I living congruently with my core values? Am I living as a 
as conscious as I can be anyway, am I consciously living as a good human? Right? So that trumps gender in my book. Um, another thing is, am I making any kind of difference for anyone else? However that, I mean, even if that's just looking your, your supermarket checker in the eye and saying, how's your day? Like, am I, am I, this good man is somebody who values connection. So the kind of stereotype of masculinity as strong, silent type, able to pull myself up by my bootstraps and recognizing that that is nothing more than a lot of cultural and Hollywood bullshit and that no human being will ever thrive living that way. So being someone who, you know, feels other people that tries to help where help is warranted and needed, being honest, and that kind of goes with integrity, but are you honest with yourself? That's, that's really a key one. How, how much are you feeding your own egoic self-delusion is a direct correlate to whether you're a good man or I'll say a good man in the making. I don't want to say bad man. You're just a good man in the making if you put the elbow grease and the consciousness into it. Um, Being respectful of people. I was going to say being respectful of women, but it's just being respectful. And um, I also think a good man is a kind man. Not to be confused with a weak man. I'm a really, really kind guy. I know that about myself. And... If somebody broke into my house and was going to try and hurt me or my wife, kindness and niceness go right out the window. Mm. Now, whoever that is, they're going to get a fight. So I think that. So is it kind of like hmm, conscious or or awareness of kindness? It, not, I guess if if your if your vow somehow is to I'm always going to be kind, you can end up being weak. But well, knowing when not to be kind, is that the is that the, the thing to embrace or I feel like it if you if it's your if it's one of your goals as a man to be kind and compassionate, which you know, regardless of one's politics, we are in dire need of more of both of those things in this country anyway, but it's, it actually would be fighting the stereotype perhaps, or the, the judgment that if you're kind and nice, that you are weak. I don't believe that you're weak at all. If that's true for you, where you're weak, a weak man is a man who doesn't know himself who doesn't look honestly at himself, who, you know, bends over backwards to give other people what they want without any regard whatsoever about what he needs or who he really is, kind of like a, a nice guy with a capital N and a capital G. For those men watching, if you've never read the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, that book is like men's textbook 101. Because you may not fit it, but an awful lot of us do. So I think knowing that what's really virtuous is not weak is really more what I think I'm trying to say. And 
also understanding that if you're if you're more of that sensitive, caring, kind that might energetically seem like it's more a man connected to his feminine energetic side, we all have both. That does not mean that the masculine energy isn't there, doesn't need to be there, shouldn't be there. There's a time and a place for everything. And what what we talk to our guys about, what I'm always striving to do every day, is am I using the right energy for the right circumstance? Yeah, and, and, and that comes with awareness and consciousness and presence and being aware of where you are and the people around you and some empathy to perhaps feel a bit, at least how they are feeling around you. And yeah. Cool. Wow. What a concept. Yeah. It, unfortunately it is a novel concept to too many. Um, but now, you know, that, used the word there, Andy, that I'm glad you brought up that I can't believe I spaced on when you were asking me, well, what is a good man present without presence? We're, I mean, without that, we don't even know if we're being good, bad, in between, or ugly, or whatever. Well, great. Let me. So that's a word that gets said a lot. So, so how? I I've never heard that term, Jeff. What What does that mean? What do you mean by presence? That well, what I mean by that term is that I am as much in this moment, and I'm aware of my body. I am in this meat bag that my soul is walking around in. I'm in it. I know what's happening with it. I know that my right foot hurts right now. I'm aware that my heart feels open. I'm aware of what's happening in this physical thing. And I'm completely aware of you. I'm paying attention to you. I'm listening I'm looking at your body language. I'm looking at your facial expressions in, at least in my case, pardon me. I also have a, a, a sensitivity to energy. So I'm listening and dialoguing and I'm noticing where your energy is. I'm paying attention to where mine is. And I'm in this moment. I'm, I'm even noticing when my mind might want to, you know, I'm talking to you, I'm answering your question about what's presence, Andy, and my mind is thinking, and what do I need to do at five o'clock? And then I wonder what's going to happen on that sales call tomorrow. And then the, the here now, Ram Das said it 50 years ago, be here now. That's presence. And, and one other element of it is learning how to tune in to that observer that we all have up in here. That part of us that doesn't really have an agenda, but it's a part of consciousness, part of ego that's healthy and necessary that can go, hmm, she just said, past the biscuits and I called her a name and threw the plate at her. That doesn't seem congruent with the request. <laughs> you know, noticing that I am off right now. Yeah. Being that present to be watching mind, body, heart, thought. Cool. Cool. I get it. <laughs> you, you you also mentioned describing a good man in integrity as as living in congruency with your core values do, do, does anyone i guess is anyone born knowing i know my core values like it's just is it an innate thing does it take work does it take working with a coach or is it a mixture how, how does that <clears throat> it it's a mixture i mean you know i think all of us as we're growing up we are trained in our parents' core values. The way that they treat us 
what gets us in trouble, how they respond to bad behavior, which oftentimes is more about, you know, their kid taking them out of their comfort zone because their kids being real and natural and congruent. And if mom and or dad grew up not being able to do that because of their dysfunction in their family, that gets passed on to us. So there's definitely an element there where we first get handed our, you know, Santa sack of here's what's right and wrong. And then as we grow up and we leave home and get out into the world, this is certainly true for me, I knew there were values that my mom and my grandmother brought me up with that felt right and good to me. And I had to learn the difference between what a value actually is distinct from a behavioral pattern. Because growing up, I thought it was a value that you would fib to not upset anybody. No, that's not a value. That's just a behavioral maladaption. That was, that was you know, my mom's issue. And, but until I figured that out, I once was a guy that would do anything I could to not make anyone else uncomfortable. Nice guy. I'm a recovering nice guy. So that, I think you kind of find what they are. I'll say that you get a more refined clarity about what they are and what they're not as you just get out into the world and you're trying to live by the ones that you think are yours. Well, if your life is going pretty well for you, they probably are yours. But if there's any area where you keep trying to, you know, embody a particular value and no matter who you're with, something goes haywire, it's at least worth taking a closer look at is that really a core value for me here's the other thing that happens too that helps bring that clarity i remember being at a values workshop once and the leader of the weekend going okay give me your you know what do you think your core values are and then he said okay so odds are you just told me what you think they should be. How do you actually live your life? You know, and going down, uh, uh, no, uh, sometimes, mm, not so much. Um, right on. <laughs> and that that was an eye-opening lesson for me because the real indicator of what you're holding as a core value for you is all shown in the choices that you consistently make. And when you see a big disparity between those two things and you care about evolving and growing yourself, then you look at, okay, Either this side's off or this side's off or a little bit of both. So how do we get, how do I get myself realigned to what my most important values actually are? Cool. So, so much like we can all hide behind masks of I've got it all figured out or I'm the ideal man, I'm whatever stereotype. We can also have kind of value masks that we, we think we're living until we're really invited to actually look at the fruits. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I used to say, I, well, health is a value of mine. And I kept insisting on that when I weighed 285 pounds and felt like crap. 
health, very important. <laughs> uh, so at least in that regard, I'm now living in integrity with that value. Right. Cool. Get it. Um, so I know the evolving man is kind of the, the umbrella that you're operating under now, but before we get into what, what the, the, the program, what that, that means to you, what do you think men are evolving to? I, I believe it, you know, I mean, this is what, this is kind of one of the founding principles of our work is that we're evolving to being in much higher integrity with our words and our actions matching up that we're not running from our emotional selves and that we're evolving to being more aware of our spiritual purpose, our spiritual leanings, and that we're working with our egos to kind of retrain them to follow the lead of our spirit and our heart and lining up our way of being in the world with that spiritual essence as best we can discern that and that we're being generous with heart, mind, attention, empathy, those kinds of things. So the way I say it for me, and this isn't anything we force on anybody, everybody has to be true to themselves, but we don't hide the fact that part of what we're after is helping men live a human life that's congruent with what they say matters to them spiritually. Mm-hmm. Whenever that spirituality is, you know, We've got every kind, you know, we have atheists in the community. We have, you know, Buddhists and Christians and Jews. And, you know, it doesn't, it's just if you say that your connection to your own soul, if not also some higher power, whatever, you know, not a religious thing at all, but just, if you believe that there's a higher level of consciousness than just what we got in here, then we're all for finding how we best walk in alignment with both of those, our human, our humanity and our spiritual knowing. Cool. I can get behind that. So, so, so tell me more about, about the evolving man, the, uh, the, the, the program, the, the, the umbrella. Yeah, well, The Evolving Man, um, it actually began about 12 years ago as a men's group. I moved into where we live now, and I wanted a men's group because I left a men's group when I moved. And so it grew, and then a few, almost four years ago now, we decided we gave it a name before it was just Oh, the men's group at my place. (laughs) And it was starting to grow. So we looked at, well, what are we all in this for? And it was to evolve. So hence the name. And we now are an organization, we're a nonprofit. So what we offer are men's groups that are all about helping men keep getting more towards what they're really wanting and manifesting it in their life in the way they want it to be manifesting. And um, so we currently now have seven groups, five of which are right here in the front range of Colorado, but we've been expanding into all virtual groups. So we now using this technology that you and I are using, So we have groups of men from all over the world that are coming together twice a month for two hours to sit in a circle, as we call it, and do their work. 
Then we also offer individual coaching for men who are really eager to grow or they're up against a wall, oftentimes in relationship. And so that isn't working for them and they just don't know how to make the difference. So we also provide one-on-one -on -one coaching for men like that who don't really want to be in a group. They don't, they're not drawn to a group yet. Um, and then we're also starting to branch off into working with male leaders in the corporate world and in other environments, but men who really consider themselves a leader or that's an aspiration. So we do work with individuals like that to help them get stronger with their leadership skills, personal mastery skills that are going to help them achieve what they want. And then there's an, another subset of guys that I used to work with when I was in the corporate world who are very successful in terms of income, title, responsibility, and their private life is just a train wreck. And, you know, those are the kind of guys I used to work with that, you know, were workaholics who were flabbergasted when they got the divorce papers handed to them in their office. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a passion of mine in particular to work with guys like that to help them see how they can be very, very successful and still not leave your heart and your spirit out of the equation. Right. So be successful in all areas, not just yeah. this, this one aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, really when you stop and think about it, any of you guys watching, do you really for a moment believe that on your deathbed, your final thoughts are going to be shit. I should have worked that extra overtime that week. And if you are one of those guys, God love you. I hope you get another shot <laughs> in the next lifetime because you didn't make it in this one. So, so how can people learn more about, about uh, that and get in touch with you? Um, you can email me at Jeff, which is G-E-O-F-F, -F, not J-E-F-F. -F. So Jeff at TheEvolvingMan.com. Um, we have a website, which we're starting to also revamp a bit. So what you see is transitional. So that's oddly enough, the, the evolving man.com. So you can go there and for people that might be listening to this and want to learn more about my relationship oriented work then that website is yourrelationshiparchitect.com. Great. And uh, anyone listening, if you're, you're in the car, you're in the bath, whatever you're doing, like <laughs> visit realmenfeel.org. We'll have links to everything Jeff has mentioned, and we'll get some links to your books and, and uh, your entire online history. We'll, we'll dig it all up. <laughs> Uh-oh. But I, uh, I, I want to thank you for all the work you're doing and, and thank you for being on Real Men Field now for a third time. And uh, you're really one of the guys that, even if we haven't talked for years, I see what you're doing and I appreciate what you're doing and I notice what you're doing. Thank you. Likewise. And really thank you for having me back and for doing, you know, you've got years into this too. So it's great. We got to, the competitive crap has to stop. And we need to be working together, all of us. So thank you for having the wisdom to make that possible for a lot of us. Yeah. I mean, I look forward to the, to the day that there are so many confused, lost, wounded men out there that, you know, there aren't enough <laughs> for us to reach. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't see that in my lifetime, but who, but who knows? I'm open to it. Yeah, yeah, one can only hope. Cool. Well, I want to thank you again, Jeff, and encourage everyone to reach out, learn more. Um, certainly, if you're in Colorado, seek out one of your in-person groups, but know that they have virtual options as well, um, whether it's, it's, it's men's work, whether it's relationship uh, work with a, with a partner. 
um, Jeff, uh, seek out Jeff. You've got lots of experience to, to help you. And wherever you're discovering Real Men Feel, um, please share your experience with, with us, with this show, with any show. Um, your shares, subscription, likes, invitations, guest suggestions, reviews. It is all greatly appreciated. It not only helps me, my guests, but it helps other men find what I hope is a valuable resource. And you know, it's been mentioned a lot during the show, but it, it, this program is about being of service. So if something has served you, uh, you don't have to let me know, but let someone else know. Sh- share it with someone else. That's the big ask. So until next time, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.